You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Once you have your Bibles, then go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to page one. Page one. We're just we're going to the beginning today, to Genesis one. As you, it's super easy to find. As well, you kind of have to go through all those like blank pages and tables of contents and all the publishers and nonsense and all that stuff they have. Genesis one. Where we're at. We're continuing our series this morning, convinced of his goodness. And I want us to really to return to the beginning, to the origins of God's creative doings here. For Psalm 119.68 states just forthrightly, as we saw last week, that God is good and does good. And Genesis 1 makes the case for us that this has always been true from God's first creative activity on earth in this universe, God is good and does good. So without any further introduction, without any further ado, let's just come to Genesis 1, and I want to read the opening lines, the first 25 verses for us, and we'll read more as we go along. But I want us to just begin here where the Bible begins. Follow along and listen here as I read. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit, trees bearing fruit and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. 
And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with uh, which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply waters in the er, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Now, this is God's word for God's people this morning in the opening lines in our Bible. What is it that God does in these opening lines? He creates, and as he creates, it happens. It is so, and then he stands back and assesses his work, and he then concludes what about his creation? It is Good. So what then can we conclude from these opening lines of our Bible? Well, here I think is the overarching or underlying, however you want to look at it, point of these opening lines. Because God is good, everything God creates is good. Write that down. It's here on the screen. It's really what this uh, chapter and these opening lines bring us to conclude. Because God is good... Everything God creates is good. Now, as we come to the opening lines, there are some observations, hopefully, that jumped off the page as I was reading these verses for us. The opening words themselves are significant for us. In the beginning, God. Offering no proof of his existence, it just boldly states this as we uh, come to our Bible. God simply is. And this is the predominant theme of Genesis 1, the predominant theme of the, of the Bible, more than just the, the timing of creation, both when it happened or you know how long each day was. Genesis 1 teaches us that God is. Now we can come to some conclusions about these things and six literal days and all that, but more than that is this simple fact that God is is it opens with creation it is written like a story and we are introduced immediately to the main character who is god make no mistake about who genesis is or really your entire bible about who this book is about not me not you though we can uh, make our applications about it the bible is about god it takes us upward it takes us vertical. It takes us to these thoughts of who God is and what God does. God just simply is. He predates the beginning. In the beginning, when the time began, when creation and everything that is here, God was just there. God predates, and his opening activity is also significant for God creates. God predates the beginning and creates literally out of nothing. The earth was formless, it was void, it was dark, and, and, and without anything. We have this image of the Spirit of God hovering over the darkness here. 
Now, God in his creation doesn't just merely arrange existing materials. That's what we do as his creative ones, his created and creative ones here, right? We build, we arrange out of raw materials and resources, don't we? How do artists? Artists take words or melody or color and they put it together to form something that is beautiful, that is worthy of our admiration, Craftsmen take wood and metal and other colors and materials to build furniture and homes and other uh, marvelous works made for us to admire and to live in. But make no mistake, your church, it is only God who truly creates. And this is significant. God wasn't himself was not created. Everything in existence that we know and can touch and see and experience through our senses was created by him, which includes us. And every human and that creator, then even as we see here, that creator has lovingly revealed himself to us. Has not stayed distant or silent from us, but has made himself known through his creation, proclaiming his glory. He's made known to us himself through his word. And he would one day after Genesis reveal himself to us in his son, in Christ the Messiah, the Savior, the one who was here at the beginning, the one who would come and fix what would later become broken, the one who is the Word of God. For God creates out of nothing, and He also creates by His Word. On repeat, then on each day, and God said, and God said, let there be blank, right? And God says, let there be these Things he speaks and it comes to being and at the, at the conclusion, as he examines it again, what he creates is good. And so these are just the observations and the pattern of what the opening lines of the Bible teach us, that because God is good, then everything that he creates is good, and this is how he creates, out of nothing and by his word. So what does that mean then for us living now in this world Knowing that what God creates is good, but also knowing what will happen in just a, you know, a few chapters later. How do we then live in light of the goodness of God in creation in a world that has been corrupted? Well, as we take the text and as we make these conclusions here, write this down. Our first responsibility is to steward what is good. We have this responsibility to steward God's good creation as he has laid it out in in these days. Now, I want you to also see not only is there some repetition that uh, helps us draw these conclusions, there's also a pattern to the the, the days of creation. In days 1, 2, and 3, God forms first the heavens, then the water, and then the earth. And on days 4, 5, and 6, he fills them. The heavens, the water, and the earth. Days 1 through 3, he forms. Days 4, 5, and 6, he fills the heavens, the water, and the earth. And you saw all the repetition in there. And on day 6, as it comes to a close in his creation, he's filling the earth. And on this day, then, he creates something special, something unique. There's a turn here in the text as we pick it up that shows us that something is now different. And and I want you to also know this about Genesis. It works in a narrowing perspective here. 
Or to put it in our terms today, it's like reading on a web page and then there's a hyperlink and as you click on it, it reveals more. Okay? And, that, and that's exactly how Genesis 1 and 2 works. At the, you have the first few verses, it's just in the beginning God creates, and it's all here. And then you have the days of creation. And then as it goes, it gets more specifically about what he creates on day 6 and creating humanity with its, special, uh, you know, with its special responsibility, as we'll see. And then even narrowing down in the creation, not only of man, but of woman and, the, and, and then the marriage relationship in it. And so it's like this ever-deepening, double-clicking on his creative, work as the narrative goes on. And so pick it up here then in verse 26 as you see it. You have the pattern. It is good. And then there's a change even in the language here in verse 26. At the beginning of each day it says, and God said, let the earth. And you have that on repeat. But in verse 26, now there's something different. Then God said, almost a summary statement of sorts. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Aha, this indicates to us something now is different. Let us, even the plurality of that statement here shows the plurality of the Godhead now being made in the image or after the likeness of God. And to be clear in what he's getting at here, he's speaking less in the Bible here, less of like physical attributes, you know, as we think about our own lives and how we bear some like physical resemblance to our parents, right? Is there one parent that you favor more than the other? So you're old now, like people are like, you look exactly like your dad or you look exactly like your mom. Not so much what is in view here, but more of the intrinsic attributes that are passed on. Now God in creating uh, humanity gives them this likeness, the understanding and emotion and will and character and personality that exists in the personality of the Godhead. Now there's some aspect of this, even as we think of our own genetics and how that stuff is passed on. But the uh, uniqueness here that Genesis is getting to is that there is nothing else in creation like this. In the double-clicking on the creation of humanity, what the Spirit intends for us to see is that humanity is on this different level, unique and special in its purpose, particularly its purpose to represent God here on this earth. For come back to the text here, after he says this, and he says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That was creeping, not creepy. Like, wait, what? We stomp out the creepy things. At least that's what we think we should do. But what is he getting at here? What is this special responsibility this dominion, well, it's to have a stewardship. To steward what God has said is good. The created, or the animals that fill the earth, the earth here that God as he creates, he says, this is good. And now, as stewards of the sovereign one, as ambassadors of the good creative king, we're to steward his good creation. We can take this one way or another. Just like in everything in, in uh, our world, there seems to be like opposite extremes on either end, right? We can come and think that we are the saviors of creation. 
We have to save the world and save our planet and make sure that we recycle all the time and do all the things, right? We can elevate animals to like human-like status. And we're, not, we're not savers. All this dominion doesn't mean like to, like to dominate like dictators and have control over everything. No, we, we, we're not saviors. We're stewards. And on the other end, that doesn't mean just like, well, I guess, you know, it's all going to burn someday. So like, why, why should we care about it now? Right? And we, we, we just become squanderers of God's good creation. No, God has called us to be stewards, to steward with care, to conserve for now and preserve for later with the responsibility to take care of the heavens and the water and the earth and all that he has created. And you see the goodness of God to create a care plan for his good creation by setting up humanity to love and to steward and to, uh, and to sacrifice and even to uh, reproduce and the reproduction of the good things in creation. But even as we make the claim that, well, because God is good, everything that he creates is good, I know how many of us think, and we're a little skeptical sometimes of these things, and maybe you're even thinking in your mind, well, how are mosquitoes and cedar trees and cactus good? Especially even now, like I still like the cedar and all the stuff in the air, like I just have this like crunchiness in the back of my throat. Anybody else like with all? I'm sorry. And the honest answer is, even like in those three things, I don't honestly know how they're all, all good, but I bet if you did some like research, you know, you could discover the benefit that they have to the ecosystem. Somebody surely has done some, you know, some research on why these things are necessary uh, for the flourishing of our creation. Or maybe you're asking yourself, as you're like bundled in your coat this morning, how is cold weather good, right? How, how is this good? Well, the thing is, like, even extreme weather or extreme elements in, in God's creation, the highest of heights and the depths of, of the ocean, these things can be good as they terrify us, as they hold us at bay, as, as they reveal to us, even in the cold weather and rain and ice and all these things, they reveal to us the true vulnerability that we have as humans. We are not in control of all things. As much as we like, there's nothing like weather in bad weather that could set, you know, a culture into a frenzy as we, as we realize just how, how dependent upon the Lord we are. Give some rain and some ice, some cold weather, and have to travel anywhere, and what does it do? What does it create in us? And yet, this is good. We're stewards of God's good creation, not sovereign over it, not the king ourselves. And it is good for us to remember our place. Our place in God's good created uh, design is God's good created order. But you might also be thinking to yourself, like, well, what about these, the, what about the big D's in, in, in the world, right? Big D's, death, disaster, disabilities, and disease. How are those things good? Well, let's just make sure we have our thinking on these things, right? These are aspects within our creation, but have been corrupted by sin. They're God's good creation, life, and the natural world, and these bodies that are still under the sovereign hand of God, though corrupted by sin. And the big D's remind us that this is not the way things are supposed to be. We are not in the goodness of the garden anymore. 
right? They're, they're all, as Romans 8 describes for us, the groanings of creation, longing for the return of Christ, even as we long for the return of Christ, where the goodness of the garden will be restored, where, where we will walk in unhindered access with the Lord. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what the pain of these things remind us of. But this isn't the way things are supposed to be, and these are corruptions on our humanity in this good creation, what God has said is good. And as humans, we have a special responsibility to steward what God says is good, even as we go deeper into this and discover that we have, uh, we have a special dignity as humans as well. So here's the second conclusion that we can draw because God is good and all that he creates is good. We steward what is good. But the text here as it continues on shows us that we dignify then what is very good. To dignify or to sanctify, to hold in a place of honor and esteem that which God says is very good. Come back to the text in verse 26. I'll pick it up. I know I read verse 26 and the subtle change that we see there. But let's continue it on. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps over the earth, everything that has a breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This, too, is God's word for God's people. And so, uh, again, here's, there's the subtle but significant change, right? And how he speaks and the plurality within the Godhead, uh, equal but distinct. Father, Son, Holy Spirit now creating here. And just like humanity now created in his image, male and female, equal but distinct. And because of this, now being created in his image makes humanity unlike anything else, not just in the responsibility that we have, but just in the inherent creation of God creating us in His image makes means that we deserve a special kind of dignity. And as God steps back then, observing all that He has created, there as the top of the list saying this is very good is humanity. And thus it should be treated with a special dignity from womb to tomb. All of God's people, all of his great as we understand what God is doing and how he's created it is good. A Sunday like today, just in God's providence here, and just 
I mean, I don't remember. I planned my sermon calendar a long time ago, and so I don't remember. Maybe I intentionally did this, but today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Some of you all follow that. Some of you, that's a, uh, an issue close to your heart. And praise God for all the gospel efforts coming alongside those who uh, are, are, are pregnant and those who are in unwanted pregnancies or those who, you know, have... Uh, uh, the walk through or considering abortion, things like that. But we treat all of human life, the babies that are grown, even in some of y'all's uh, wombs right now, with human dignity. But it doesn't stop there, does it? For all of life, no matter in whatever stage we are in, and our parents and the elderly uh, among us showing great worth and dignity and value. And man, it's it's so tragic even to see commercials and things diminish the, the dignity and honor that we should give to like our parents and to the older amongst us. For, I mean, they would be the first to admit, I think, like they weren't perfect or anything like that, or but, you know. This is kind of like, you know, the, the punchline of so many, you know, insurance commercials even now that are like, don't be like your parents, right? And even all the quirky things that they do, yeah, it's funny. But in a way, it's just like eroding the dignity of humanity. Even in the silliness, even in like, yeah, we, that's the beauty of growing and maturing in the faith is that we don't have to, you know, do all the goofy things that our parents or grandparents or other things have done. We can grow and mature and all that, but we don't dishonor them because of it. Right? From womb to tomb, no matter who you are, like this, this special dignity, like every person, no matter what you look like. It's why the evils of things like racism are so vile. Because there's no more or less special dignity, whatever your skin color is, all created in the image of God and thus worthy of honor and love and respect, no matter what physical things define us. That's why things like gender prejudice are so vile as well. Male and female, equally, though distinct, somehow in the diversity of all the different physical attributes and things are part of God's good creation, and thus deserve what? Our honor, our respect, regardless of all of these things, because God has created each of us as good, as very, very good. And that's what you begin to like discover as we go through all this. God creates man in his own image, and the image of God he created, a male and female, he created them. And so he's, remember, there's like this narrowing aspect. And if we were to double-click on this now, because like in 127 now, here's the emphasis on, oh, wait, there's something more here, male and female. And if you double-click onto that, there's more explanation on this creation of female in chapter 2. I go to 2.18. Let me just read it here for a moment. 2.18, it's like the narrowing here, the creation of female. If we were to double-click, here's what it would open up for us on the screen. Genesis 2.18, again, it's like the, uh, the, 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 the subtle but significant change. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Every man in the house, you should say, like, there should be a rousing amen to that, right? Amen. So right. Praise God for our wives. And maybe the ladies are like, yeah, this is not good. I love my husband alone. It's not, not good, right? 
There's more than one reason and more than one aspect of why this is true. But the, it's the contrast that is significant because what is everything God has, has created? He has said what? It is good. And so it's not like an afterthought here on like day six of creation. God's looking at it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's not good. Didn't think through that one. I should probably create, you know, a, a female. No, no, he's just pointing out here that what is very good is when a man and a woman come together. Now together complementing each other and in a more full way putting on display the image of God and the plurality that exists even as we can't describe it in the Trinity here. And so what does God do? He creates a helper fit for him. Let's continue on. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now, pause there for a second. Like, here's another just like uh, example of the dignity and the special responsibility given to humanity as what God in, in creation, in the first part, we're told like God is the one who names the heavens and the earth and night and day and all that. And now he hands the baton as his representatives on earth to Adam. But... Continue on, verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The first surgery in human history. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, here, and this is like an exclamation of great gratitude. It's just kind of lost, but in Hebrew, this is like, uh, he's just like so thankful to the Lord, all right? This at last is bone in my bone. You, know, you read that, you're like, bro, Adam, like, chill out. It's been one day. Like, you know, it's been moments, you know? You should create on the same day. Anyways, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed. God's word here for God's people. That is so, so good. See, in this day six of creation, as God steps back, says this is very good. At the top of that list, the creation of humanity with its special uh, responsibility and its special uh, 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 dignity. But related to that also, what is very good and to be held in honor amongst us is marriage. Is the bringing together of, of man and woman into this relationship now that is one flesh. That is the coming together here. Marriage is something created by God as very good and to be honored by all and dignified by all, no matter where you are in that. Obviously, yes, dignifying your spouse and treating them with great care and respect, but the institution or the relationship of marriage, whether you're married or not or widowed or divorced, is we honor, yes, the marriage and the specific marriages that God has put around us. It's so interesting to me how, as you go like even into the New Testament, to a place like First Timothy 4, 
Read that this afternoon or your time with the Lord uh, this, uh, this week. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, uh, Paul uh, anchors an argument in the creation mandate, actually saying in verse 4 that everything created by God is good because apparently there had been some false teachers that had come into the Ephesian church and they were doing two things. They were forbidding marriage and prohibiting certain foods from being eaten. And Paul's like, no. You can't, you, you can't do that. This marriage was created by God. as some, Everything created by him is good. And he anchors back the, his teaching saying that that is wrong because of how marriage is created, in, or is created by God as good from the very get-go here. Right? And so what do we do? We then dignify this that God has said and text goes on as you come back here. Not only is it male and female that he creates and marriage, but as you come back to come out of the page, back to the home page 128, and God blesses them. Significant here, right? Blesses animals earlier that day, but also it's the blessing of being fruitful and multiplying, of filling the earth and subduing it, right? God tells them, here's a command, be fruitful and multiply. What does this mean? Exactly what you think it means, right? Reproduction, having kids, right? Now, that doesn't mean everybody has to have a million kids, but it is God's blessing when he adds kids to our family. We should uphold that. We, the parenting and the great privilege that God has given to us is something that is good, something to be honored, something that we come around and we champion in uh, each other's lives. For what do, we, what do we see in all of this? In these relationships, in marriage, in parenting, in our responsibility to, uh, to relationship, it is an investment, it is multiplication, which is really just inherent to who we are and what we do as God's people, as God's representatives. We, you know, call, we could say it is discipleship in this sense, just simply defined as investing in others for their spiritual good. That's what we do as God's people. Just the simple definition, investing in others for their spiritual good and their physical good and everything else is here. But that's, this is, this, these are what our relationships are all about. People that you meet, no matter how close you are with them or not, there should be an element of how can I invest in this person for their good because they've been created by God. Especially so in marriage and in parenting. It's about investing in them of passing on what God has uh, said is good and passing on these things to others. The beauty is God has given all of his resources for it. All of creation. Even a day of rest because investing in others and the pouring out is hard work. That's what he says. He blesses the Sabbath day, making it holy as a reminder of what? We are limited people. Dependent upon God, we are the stewards, not the sovereign. We are ambassadors. We are the created ones. And yet our life is meant to cultivate and cause others to flourish for their good. To come alongside, why is God's created one? So we steward what is good. We dignify what God says is very good. And what does that mean then for our relationship back to God? Because so far, this has all been 
horizontal. Because God is good, everything he creates is good, and so what do we do? How do we interact with creation? How do we interact with each other in the relationships that we have? Well, because God is good, we worship and then obey the one who is good, right? That's our vertical relationship. That's the element here that uh, uh, Genesis 2 takes us to. Write that down. We then worship and obey the one who is good. We don't worship creation. Genesis, or, uh, Romans 1 prohibits that, right? That's like a part of the downward depravity spiral, right? They worship the creation rather than the creator. That's a recipe for disaster. We don't worship works of art. We don't worship houses or, or uh, beautiful uh, buildings that have been structured. We can admire them. We can uh, you know, uh, stand in awe of them to sense, but our reverence, our worship, and our obedience is to the only one who is truly good. right? And so come to text. How do, can we say that? Where is that embedded in the text here? We're going to skip over a little bit for time's sake, but come to verse 15. Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Why? To work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so here God is creating people and, he, and all of his creation. And now he takes the man and places him in the garden, puts him into his presence. To do what? To, as our ESV renders it, to work and to keep. But there's also this sense here of working and keeping, of worshiping and obeying. It closely related in Hebrew, and I get uh, the ESV is rendered it this way, and there's good reason for it. But let us also not like like the work and the keeping, like after the fall, becomes you know cursed. Every man you know is Moses' lawn, and every time we pull weeds and work outside, you know, and work up a sweat, and then you know it happens again, and we do you know like a week later, even though we've like doused our yard in pesticides and other things, and there it is back again, right? And yet there's a sense here, pre-fall, of working and worshiping that are closely related. John Sandelhammer, in his, he has a fantastic book called The Pentateuch's Narrative. It's commentary, it's lengthy, but it is so good. And he makes this excellent case here for the emphasis actually being on the worshiping and obedience the worship that happens when we are in God's presence, where these two concepts are closely related, even as he you know, gives the first command, like, here, like, don't eat of this, or it is, things are going to go bad for you. But just obey me, trust me, take me uh, my word, and you will see what is truly good. And we know they disobey this command, and what happens? Cedar trees. I mean, no, okay. <laughs> All the corruption of sin that we experience even now in our bodies, in creation, all the chaos that has ensued since that first act of disobedience. And yet here, there's a sense that being in God's presence, the one who is truly good is deserving of our worship work. 
where these, and, and, like, let's just define worship and make sure we're clear in our mind. Like, worship isn't just merely singing songs together on a Sunday, right? We're not only worshiping when we put worship music, you know, Christian songs on in our car as we drive, but you can worship God as you do the dishes tonight. And I'm not saying, like, because you told Alexa to play Christian music and you're singing while you're doing it. No, just as an act of, of service to God in love for your family, this is an act of worship of God. And in the same way, like our, our, our ushers this morning have served us fantastic as they've opened the door and greeted us and handed out things and all that. And, and they're worshiping and doing that just as much as they were working for Christ as when they were singing songs and praying and things. And so what are we getting at here? Our response then vertical is like pretty simple. But because God is good, he deserves our worship. And the whole point of all this is that God's goodness has been in existence from the very foundation of the world. It was out of his goodness that he creates. And so thus what he creates is good. It was true from the start and has never waned. Even now as sin has entered the world and corrupted things, his goodness may be obscured, but it has not waned. It is not diminished in any of it, and thus he deserves our worship and our obedience, even now more so in the midst of creation, uh, getting messed up because of sin. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 33 will tell us this, On the other side of the fall, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood Firm. Psalm 33 is like all about creation and our worship of God as our good creator. We fear the Lord. Let us stand in awe of him and let us then obey his commandments. As 1 John 5 says, for this is the love of God. What's the love of God? That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. God gives commands not to like impinge upon our freedom, not to, you know, because he's like the, the you know, the creator killjoy but because he loves us. He doesn't want us to hurt ourselves because he knows the, de the destructive nature of sin and what we do. So we follow him, taking him at his words, and these are not burdensome. They're helpful to us. But why, why else are they not burdensome? Because in the commands we find the love of God, and most specifically we find Christ. We find the goodness of God to save us, to, rec uh, to, to rescue us. And speaking of Jesus, who was there at the beginning? John 1, mirroring the opening lines of the Bible, John opens up his gospel with these words, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Speaking of Jesus, who upholds the world with the Word of His power, Jesus there at the beginning, Jesus there at Calvary, fixing what had been broken, redeeming what had been lost, and Jesus now alive, ruling and reigning by his word as our good God over his good creation. And he will one day return to bring us back into the goodness of the garden. And we now just rehearse for that day 
in our worshiping, in our obeying, in our resting, in our stewarding, in our serving the Lord. We rehearse for that day. Let's pray together now. God in heaven, here we are, your people, amazed as we go back to the origins, amazed to see your goodness your goodness that uh, provoked you to create, your goodness that uh, uh, led you to speak all this that we know into existence, your goodness that being the very reason why we are alive today with flesh and blood and bones and will and a, a brain and a heart and all the things that make up our humanity. Thank you, God, for your goodness. And we need your help now, God. Help to steward it well. Help to dignify, even in, in when it's hard. Help to worship you and obey you especially. Lord, would you use these, these concepts, would you use this, uh, uh, these, these thoughts here to help us uh, shine as lights in a, in, in a hostile world? Good ambassadors, good stewards, even this week.